0: Welcome, everybody, to the Additive Snack podcast. I'm your host, Fabian Allefeld, and today we have a thrilling episode lined up where we dive into the intersection of additive manufacturing, personalized healthcare, and even artificial intelligence. Our guest is from Restore3D, a groundbreaking medical device company headquartered in Durham, North Carolina. Restore3D is revolutionizing orthopedic medicine with personalized surgical implants that promise better outcomes, less complications, and an exciting future that reaches beyond orthopedics. With its drive to innovate, Restore 3D represents the cutting edge of what technology and additive manufacturing can really achieve in medicine. Joining us today is Restore's brilliant CTO, Cambry Kelly, a key figure behind the company's impressive success and Cambry recently also joined the Forbes 30 under 30 list in the manufacturing and industry sector. Cambry, it's an honor to have you on the show.
1: Thanks for having me. Excited to be here.
0: So, Cambry, before we get into the technology of Restore 3D itself, can you share a bit about your journey from your early days at Duke to becoming a PhD specializing in 3D printed porous structures in orthopedics?
1: Yeah, happy to so my background by training is biomedical engineering. I'm from the Atlanta area originally and went to Georgia Tech for undergrad, studied BME there and kind of got my first experience in the orthopedic med device space working at a couple startups in Atlanta. So really kind of fell in love with the early stage translation of, you know, academic-based technologies into commercial products in a small startup company that's Lean and agile, and everybody wears multiple hats, and mm-hmm. got to see kind of a lot of different sides of the business. So, really, kind of fell in love with that space. And then ultimately, ended up in North Carolina at Duke University. And, like you said, did my PhD. All of my research was focused on 3D printed porous structures with an application focus for orthopedic devices. Mm-hmm. So, very lucky as a grad student at Duke to have access to one of the first laser powder bed fusion machines that was landed in the United States from 3D Systems. We had basically titanium powder and were trying all sorts of different porous lattice structures at the time. Back then, there wasn't a ton of literature on the space, and it was really just kind of a first frontier of thinking, what are all the lattice structures that we can even print and Mm -hmm. what's printable or not? And so doing a lot of kind of early experimentation with you know lattice building softwares and then trying to print stuff and finding out what prints what doesn't print and then starting to try to characterize the mechanical performance of those structures and then ultimately kind of looking at some of the osseointegration and and performance of the structures in vivo as well so it's been uh, really cool to kind of understand and watch that space evolve mm-hmm. from a research aspect as well as kind of an application aspect.
0: Yeah, that's super interesting. And I think in the industry, we, we often just treat lattices as lattices. And you know, it's just one term that everybody throws out there. But there's a lot of differences and unique characteristics in the different types of lattices. Could you help us elaborate a little bit on the different terms and types of lattices and what types of characteristics we assign to these?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think you're exactly right. You know, when you think about the medical device industry, now that porous lattices have kind of become a little bit more ubiquitous, everybody kind of has their own lattice structure that they print that's proprietary and special and optimized and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I think one of the things that we do at Restore 3D is we really think about this from a fundamental scientific standpoint. And so, kind of in those early days where everyone was trying to kind of understand and characterize lattice structures we lacked kind of a common vocabulary mm-hmm, even mm-hmm. to describe these sorts of structures. We've now kind of evolved some of that, but, you know, back then the literature didn't really describe the strut diameter or the pore size or some of the connectivity aspects of the lattice that in order to kind of do apples to apple comparison with your data and the literature, if you're missing some of that information, we realize that it wasn't always kind of a a fair side-by-side comparison. And so we kind of set out to do a lot of that work at Duke and basically tried to characterize all sorts of lattice structures, including kind of strut-based architectures like the octet truss, for example, which, you know, had been reported in the literature to have superior kind of mechanical properties. Mm -hmm. But then also at the time, Started looking at sheet-based lattices, and there wasn't a lot of studies in the literature looking at these structures. There were just a couple out of a research group in Leuven that had just preliminarily looked at some of the sheet-based triply periodic minimal structures, Mm -hmm. uh, including the gyroid. But honestly, most of the literature was focused around their application for heat exchange, and none of it was really focused on the potential for using it in orthopedic or medical applications. And so. We got pretty excited as we started studying that structure side by side with some of the strut-based architectures, and realized that, you know, for example, the gyroid sheet lattice, which is what we use at Restore Three D today, in you know eighty-five to ninety percent of our implants, mm-hmm. and we call that our title technology, which is the the branding uh, marketing name for it, because gyroid is sometimes hard to pronounce. So, <laughs> but anyway, we we started realizing that the mechanical response was superior for a given porosity. And then under fatigue loading also had superior performance. And then ultimately studying it in a number of animal models Mm -hmm. to show kind of, you know, optimized porosity and pore size to allow for bony and growth. So it's been really cool to kind of continue to study that lattice and how we use it and kind of find that it, it truly is kind of optimized for these sorts of orthopedic applications.
0: Yeah, that's super interesting, right? Your research really let you in this unexplored territory. And you're right, where we see Gyroids today, except for Restore3D, I would say, is in heat exchangers and thermal management applications, heat sinks, and the likes. So seeing your applications and your devices out there is very unique, which kind of brings us to the story of Restore3D itself, right? How did the journey of the launch go and how did the the whole founding uh, happen?
1: Yeah, great question. So, we founded the business in 2017. So we just celebrated six years last month, which is wow, yeah. uh, crazy. Uh, like the fastest and the longest six years of my life, probably. I um, and I think for for a lot of the other co-founders, too. You know, it's kind of crazy to celebrate that milestone. So yeah, we started basically on a lab bench at Duke, um, and we've kind of you know grown exponentially over the last six years since. One thing I say is that we're really good at doing is underestimating how quickly we're going to grow and and need space. We've moved four times in six wow. years, so everything from a lab bench to an incubator space. Then we moved to our first manufacturing facility, and then we've just moved into a state-of-the-art facility that we kind of completely planned to allow us to scale mm-hmm. here at, in Research Triangle Park in, in Durham. So pretty excited to see the growth and kind of reflect back on the last six years, kind of in light of the new facility and and the plans and everything that we're doing. The founding of the business was really based around a vision of using additive manufacturing to enable better outcomes in orthopedics. Mm-hmm. And the way that we saw it at the time and still see it today is that additive manufacturing gives you kind of two key advantages. One is the complex porous lattice structures that we've been talking about mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and how that you know gives us new opportunity to Kind of spatially design implants where we want bone to grow in, and where we might want articulation or other attachment features for fixation or, or supplemental hardware, mm-hmm. and so additive manufacturing kind of exploded the design envelope of the possibility of what we can do with, you know, CAD-based design tools now and then actually realize those parts through the manufacturing process, mm-hmm. and then the other is you know in that same vein, personalization. So, how do we think about you know taking a patient's preoperative CT scan? And and we're not the only ones doing this, but taking that preoperative CT scan and converting it to a three D model, sitting side by side with engineer and the surgeon to plan the approach for the case. What do they want to achieve? If there's a deformity that we want to correct, let's talk about that Mm -hmm. and basically do virtual surgical planning, and then ultimately you know be able to design not only the device but also personalized instrumentation, cut guides, trials, things like that, that we also manufacture in-house. So it's been really cool to kind of see the enabling technology on both the additive manufacturing side, but also some of the digital design tools really kind of evolve and come to fruition over the last few years. And that's really kind of fueled the vision that we had all the way back to 2017.
0: Yeah, it's incredible to see how far you've integrated various aspects of that that whole value chain in Restore 3D within one organization. I think what's also very, very unique about Restore is that very early on, you vertically integrated the whole manufacturing process, which is probably quite scary for an early organization, right? It's a capital-intensive equipment. It's quite complex to build these internal value and supply chains. Can you talk a bit more about the strategic decision of vertically integrating manufacturing and additive manufacturing? And was that kind of a key to to your success and agility?
1: Yeah, I think absolutely, yes. It's been a key to our success. It was something from very early on in the business, something that we kind of, you know, rolled the dice on, Mm -hmm. so to speak. We felt very strongly, you know, that it was kind of part of the foundational core competency of the business. So we obviously had experience operating the research system that I mentioned that was at Duke University. And, you know, through that process, we essentially learned that these machines aren't plug and play. They're still not plug and play, you know, six years later. And so we really kind of built up a lot of tribal knowledge and competency Mm -hmm. around how to operate these machines and get them to produce the types of devices that, that we were trying to manufacture. And so for us, we kind of realized that there was a lot of inherent value in owning the manufacturing, not only from a supply chain standpoint, but also from kind of a, a knowledge uh, standpoint and continuing to be able to essentially kind of run R&D prototype builds on the same systems that we were doing production builds on, which we still do today. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been incredibly valuable Where, you know, our design, you know, product development engineers, our manufacturing engineering team and our operations team, you know, all speak the same language Mm -hmm. and they can understand the capabilities and also some of the limitations of these machines where potentially going to a contract manufacturer, some of that gets lost in translation and can lead to kind of longer iterative kind of, you know, development cycles. Mm -hmm. So for us, it's been incredibly valuable from a, you know, product development uh, standpoint. And then obviously the, you know, the supply chain efficiency that comes with having everything within our four walls. For us, you know, there is a lot of cost advantages Mm -hmm, to doing that, mm -hmm. but probably the bigger advantage for us is the ability to be agile and quick when it's warranted. So for cases that do have, you know, necessitate a very quick turnaround time because of the pathology or, whatever it might be an urgent you know case we're able to kind of manage our own production queue and expedite cases that you know need a quicker turnaround time and then kind of keep our you know normal turnaround time for run rate kind of production and so again that flexibility or agility to kind of control what we make and when we make it has been incredibly valuable to the business
0: yeah i could 100% see that and that's it's something we've been talking about a lot in additive, right? This vertical integration versus versus outsourcing. And most most organizations shy away from initially vertically integrating. But I think what you pointed out is, is so key is to build that internal knowledge and the expertise. And I could imagine that your organization actually is working so closely together with surgeons and the teams in the operating rooms so you also, you bring in manufacturing so close to to the hospitals probably ever ever before. Do you do you realize that surgeons also interact differently uh, with you guys and have all of a sudden different requirements and and ideas that uh, that that come up?
1: Great question. And yes, basically, you know, one of our favorite things to do is to do VIP visits with surgeons and bring them to the production facility in our new office and. Mm-hmm show them the manufacturing. And one, it's incredibly impressive um, for you know somewhere that we walk through all day every day, maybe we become a little desensitized yeah. to it, but seeing it through somebody else's eyes for the first time and just watching their eyes you know light up and they're like, this is how those devices get made is so cool to see. I think one of the things that's been incredibly insightful is that you know for surgeons who see the technology, understand how the printers work, to a greater extent, now all of a sudden you can start to see their wheels turning mm-hmm. and they kind of realize what the art of the possible is. And, you know, you can do so much kind of operating on a zoom call and talking about the anatomy in 3d and showing the CAD model. But when they see how those devices actually get, you know, physically produced, I think it kind of clicks something, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. in some mm-hmm. surgeons minds and, and then they're kind of off to the races with new concepts. And, creativity. And it's really exciting to see. And I think it's a very special thing that we're able to do because we have all of that in-house and we can, you know, show it off. So that being said, owning our manufacturing hasn't come without challenges and hiccups. And it's something that we endeavor to be better at every day operationally. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned it, it's something that especially small companies like we were, you know, and still are to some extent, shy away from because of the capex, yeah, right? Yeah. And it's something that's a really big expense. You're betting, you know, a lot of dollars on being able to make it work. And so having had that kind of, you know, academic background and knowing we knew how to operate these machines mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because of the work that we had done, you know, kind of in the research group helped, you know, give us confidence that we would be successful. Um, and ultimately it's been, you know, the right decision for our business a hundred percent.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's easy to underestimate the the criticality and the knowledge that you need to operate these systems and design for that technology, and uh, ultimately, your your growth has uh, has really proven that you 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 did bet on the on the right additive horse. And uh, recently, there were even some uh, announcements on on acquisitions and you guys expanding your your reach. Can you talk a bit more about that?
1: Yeah, happy to. You know, as a business, we like I've mentioned a couple of times, really found ourselves kind of. In scientific evidence, and have really kind of hung our hat on being the go to kind of provider for personalized solutions for orthopedics. Mm-hmm. And so we acquired a business in July of 2021 that was called Kinos Medical. They had a total ankle system that was traditionally manufactured, but based on uh, great technology out of Drexel University, kind of on the biomechanical aspect. Mm-hmm of the kind of range of motion of the ankle joint. So we incorporated that business, uh, merged them in uh, back in 2021, and basically uh, converted their traditionally manufactured implant system to additively manufactured and used our title technology or our gyroid lattice to also kind of improve the product offering. And so we've launched that system in addition to the first all-metal resection guides for total ankle arthroplasty. Mm -hmm. And so we're really excited about, you know, kind of what that acquisition, you know, has kind of borne fruit now a couple of years later and kind of fully uh, releasing that product offering to the market uh, over the course of this year. So that's been a really cool uh, kind of way to see two companies with a really shared similar vision come together and deliver on that vision of personalization through additive manufacturing. And then recently, we just announced our intention to acquire a business called Conformis. Mm -hmm. And so that transaction hasn't closed yet, um, but we're very excited about the potential of combining those two businesses. Conformis has a very long history of offering personalized solutions for total knee and total hip procedures. Mm -hmm. So those are two procedures that at Restore3D, we haven't had products or had pipeline products uh, around kind of large joint. But what we realized in kind of, you know, looking at their business and thinking about ours is we had a very similar vision mm-hmm, again. Mm-hmm. And so this idea of bringing personalization and providing those solutions to patients is something that, you know, was very commonly shared. And again, the conformist product is not additively manufactured. And so, you know, some of the thesis for merging the businesses together is that 3D printing And some of the core technology that Restore 3D has, along with the exceptional product offering that Conformis has built, and a lot of incredible clinical evidence to show the value of personalization, not only in the PSI kind of cut guides for the procedure, but then also personalization in the implant itself. Mm -hmm. And so we're incredibly excited about, again, kind of bringing two teams together that share the same vision are very excited about kind of the future of these technologies as we kind of continue to bring more personalized solutions to the market.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting and incredible to see how, as you said, within six years now, you're expanding into various other parts of, of the body, in this case, hip and knee, applying your your unique technology that came out of Duke University, really. Now, you've positioned yourself really, really well in, in the market and you're set up to grow. What does the future of Restore3D look like? Also, from a technology perspective, are you thinking about incorporating other innovative technologies such as you know artificial intelligence that we're uh, hearing about every day now, which hasn't really found its way into manufacturing all the way yet? What does that look like for Restore3D?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I think our, the future of the business is a couple things. We've definitely kind of proven, you know, proof of concept that personalization deserves the space in the conversation when we talk about orthopedics mm-hmm. and, you know, our vision is that every patient deserves personalized care. And so I think that, you know, as we talk more and more about the patient at the end of this, there is going to be a clamoring for more personalized solutions from the patients to their surgeons and we're very excited to kind of see that landscape evolve. That being said, you know we know that it's something that we need to make scalable, mm-hmm. um, and so we have a you know a lot of work in front of us to make this something that truly is just in time manufacturing and economical at scale. And that's something that we talk a lot about almost every day inside of our business and uh, endeavor to be you know faster and more efficient while still producing. The highest quality products Mm -hmm. every day through our manufacturing facility. And so we do think of a lot of, you know, different technologies to be able to enable that on the printing side. You know, we've watched the evolution of the machines themselves over the last few years. And we really endeavor to be kind of technology agnostic on the printer side. So we've moved from single laser systems to now uh, quad laser systems in order to be more efficient and produce parts, you know, faster and turn builds over quicker and and you know, move parts through the production facility. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's kind of the, you know, operational production side of the physical goods. But then if you think kind of upstream, a, a large part of kind of the lead time is also the design aspect of what we do and sure. so we've spent the better part of the last two years really trying to build out better digital platforms and tools. To streamline that process. So, one example is our 3ID platform, which is a surgeon facing mm-hmm. web and mobile platform to allow them to basically facilitate their patient specific process with our team, their sales reps, provide us information about kind of starting a new case. We get the CT images for the preoperative planning through that portal.
0: Wow.
1: Um, and basically, kind of walk them through the patient specific design process. And then it also kind of acts as an archive for them. So they have all their past cases that they can refer back to. Hmm. Um, and that's been a really cool way to see that product offering roll out and how surgeons have been excited to adopt that to make it even more frictionless for them to do these procedures. Hmm. And then on kind of the design automation side, we've also spent a lot of work there. And so you mentioned AI, that's certainly a buzzword. And I think we've seen... Kind of various embodiments of adoption of that in our space. Mm-hmm. I think the most notable would be AI-driven auto segmentation. So you know what the first step in our process after we receive a case and the CT scan is to convert the 2D DICOM images into a 3D CAD model. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that process happens through segmentation of those images, which traditionally has occurred manually by hand. And so you need highly skilled specialists to do that work and it's not a trivial amount of work True. particularly when we're we've been primarily operating in lower extremity we've got 28 bones in the foot and ankle that they have to segment each individual bone and label them and create the 3d model mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. particularly the cases we do that have high levels of deformity and you know hardware or metal artifact and things like that it's a very labor-intensive operation but I think the use of uh, AI tools to enable some of that auto segmentation and get it you know ninety percent of the way there even, and then have the specialized you know technicians kind of finish the last ten percent of the work as a way to really reduce the overhead costs while also kind of improving um the turnaround time on that part of the process. Yeah. And then we also kind of have enabled some early kind of AI algorithms for some design automation as well. so a couple examples of that where we've taken past cases that we've done that have been, you know, designed manually by hand if you okay. will and then the preoperative anatomy and trained a model based on kind of that paired data set to say when given this kind of preoperative input how do we design, you know, the best implant for that patient and kind of make that that design automation happen and again something where we'll always need a, a trained and specialized engineer in the loop but if we can use ai to get us halfway there 80% of the way there we're realizing you know design efficiency that is really meaningful for us as far as kind of mm-hmm. ability to scale economically
0: yeah you know it's the perfect use case for that technology and and hopefully you know as you said it you will still need skilled engineers who who verify what that model does but getting those efficiency gains of engineering time and bringing it down you know that's still where i a, pretty big cost uh, sector of a uh, end-use part lays, right? It's, it's in the engineering time. So making that more efficient hopefully also allows you guys to offer your products to a wider patient audience. And therefore, I could definitely see a growing impact of Restore3D, not only actually in the medical market, but also in other markets where what you guys are doing can be a role model that can be applied to other technologies and other industries as well. Because most most folks uh, either have so much legacy in manufacturing that it's hard to convert into a fully digitized uh, process chain, or as we said before, they, they shy away from, from these investments. And you guys are, to me, the proof that it's worth investing and that it's worth fully integrating all of these technologies into one organization. So, Camry, for that, I want to thank you. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. And I'm very excited to see what the future of Restore 3D holds.
1: Thanks for having me. Enjoyed it.